Welcome to Straight Outta Health IT. Getting into health tech is rough, but here's an unfiltered dialogue of healthcare leaders and influencers covering a wide variety of issues affecting healthcare and the health tech industry. And now your host, Christopher Cunney. Hello, everyone. This is Christopher Cunney, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Outta Health IT. I'm so excited again to have on this show two amazing guests that hopefully will have a very interesting and enlightening conversation today. And a lot of this spawned from just, quite honestly, my personal experience as a recovering CIO and the experience I had in managing IT operations for healthcare systems across the country and the relationships that I had working with my vendor slash strategic partners. And so the topic of the day is for, and I've also been on the vendor side too. And so the topic of the day is really, how do you transition vendors to strategic partners and how can hospital CIOs really maximize those technology investments that they make through these partnerships? So in today's healthcare industry, technology plays such a vital role in managing patient care and hospital operations. And as a result, it's essential for the CIO to not only select the right technology vendors, but also cultivate strategic relationships and uh, strategic partnerships with them. As the technology continues to evolve, the CIO must be able to maximize their investments in order to provide the best care to the patients while staying within budget. On this episode of Straight Out of Health IT, we're going to talk about that whole relationship, the whole ecosystem and the steps CIOs and vendors can take to start moving from transactional relationships to one that's really value-added strategic partnerships that will enable them to make the most out of those technology investments. And really by establishing strong relationships with those technology partners, CIOs can create a culture of innovation within the hospital and ultimately achieve better outcomes, which is what we, the mission of healthcare is all about. So today I got on the program. Again, two amazing guests and thank them so much for taking time out their busy schedules to join me. The first person I'll introduce is Ricky Fletcher. Ricky is the Director of Strategic Partnerships for Luma Health. Let me share just a little bit of Ricky's background. With seven years of enterprise healthcare IT sales and additional five years of specializing in enterprise health IT SaaS sales and business development, Ricky brings a wealth of experience to the table. His current role at Luma involves leading business development and partnerships where he's effectively utilized his network to collaborate with some of the nation's leading healthcare systems. And also on the show is Scott Raymond. Scott serves as Vice President and Chief Information and Innovation Officer for Nebraska Medicine. In his dual role, Scott oversees information technology and innovation. He leads enterprise change, enable customer-facing digital technologies, provide uh, big-picture plans and strategies that implement co- uh, complex customer, clinical, and technical initiatives. These are just a few of his core strengths, and with over 27 years of healthcare experience, ranging from hands-on critical care to strategic operations, Scott possesses a, a wealth of experience and ability to understand how healthcare technologies impact patient care and enables the culture to achieve greatness. So gentlemen, thank you, thank you, thank you for so much for taking time out your busy schedules to join me today. And let's get started. And always, as I when I like to start the program, what I like to do 
I gave you a very brief background of these two gentlemen's roles and experiences, but that doesn't really tell their, their story and their journey. So I like to have each of them spend about two or three minutes just talking about your journey into the roles you're in today. And we'll first of all start with you, Scott. Let's start with you and you tell us a little bit about your journey to the role of CIO. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Kenny. Christopher, uh, that, that bio you read is the slick marketing spiel that you put out. So I, yeah, I've been in healthcare for 27 years or actually a little over. I started out as a pediatric ICU nurse and never really intended to be. And I was working in a real advanced critical care unit for children and was happy in that role. But as things evolve, I was asked to become a manager of a big pediatric unit. And then that kind of leads to the next step. And they asked me to actually try to help shepherd physicians through the EPIC journey. Exactly. At a health system I worked at Southern California, we actually signed our contract late 2004, early 2005. So that'll give you some yeah, perspective of how long that was. Process, yeah, one know. of the early adopters. Exactly. And we thought it was really important to have clinicians that had deep physician relationships to be um, part of a team that helped the physicians adopt the EHR. Absolutely. They have and, yeah. And, and I think we did a really good job. And I think even Epic really uh, applauded our efforts. And those efforts continued after I, I left. So I joined the team. I had a group of physicians, a pharmaceutical detailer. So I had a group of physicians responsible for, and I helped them anywhere from email to accessing the current clinical sure. systems. And after our first go live, I took over that team as director of uh, physician informatics, which is interesting having a nurse and not a physician in charge of informatics right. for physicians. But we had a really well-oiled team and we did six implementations, about one a year until we got all of our hospitals up and live. And then we would leave folks behind at each campus to support ongoing functions. And it led to what I call proper IT when our last in install, the site CIO went to another facility. Sure. And the CIO, yeah, <laughs> he got out, he got out at the right time because you know how right. getting a campus ready for an epic implementation. The CEO who had all the CEOs of each hospital reporting to her was a nurse sure. and, and a mentor. And she said, Hey, you're going to be on campus anyway. Can you do this, do the IT part? And I'm like, right. sure. So I took over IT and did my other job as well. And we implemented Epic. And then I just stayed like we were done implementing. And right. then I stayed as site CIO, yeah. uh, went on to About be- the IT bug. Yeah, I did. And it was fun. And then I went on, I got promoted to executive director of technology and innovation for the system. And part of that role, I got connected to our for-profit innovation arm. Sure. And so I was the main operations and clinical counsel for right. the investment arm. So it was about a $40 million fund and we would invest in companies. And we always, our tenant was to look for solutions for problems we had and not the other way around. So not exactly. innovation for innovation's sake. And so I did that and did my other role and introduced a lot of new technology did all the pilots. And then my crown jewel at that organization is I built a innovation center mm -hmm. where we had uh, a data center that could support a 2000 bed hospital. We had an wow. instance of Epic we could test against in our lab. And then we had open space that we could convert to a patient room or an OR space or even a, a nursing station. Exactly. You guys were on so, the front. Tell yeah, me, we, back it was then, a real early 2000s. Who was talking about innovation? And not only that, but building an innovation center. 
Yeah, and there wasn't a lot. And then, of course, Peter Sinai and New York Presbyterian, they started going down that route too. And we actually joined forces with Cedars and combined our innovation and created Summation Health Ventures. And we did that for a few years before we had a a nice breakup, a friend's breakup, and we both went our separate ways. So then an opportunity came up in Colorado to be the vice president and associate CIO of a big health system in Colorado. And I took that opportunity. I left my job of 20 years at Memorial Care and went on. And I had a team, all operations reported to me, and again, kept with that mission of being innovative and try to plat- platformize, or we coined the phrase platformization to mm-hmm. leverage like the that. platforms that we had. And so that stint ended. And I went, like you, I went to the vendor side for a while and really enjoyed that. But an opportunity here in Nebraska came up for a CIO, which Christopher, once you get in that that IT thing, you either set your sights on the end game or you just... Exactly. Think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this opportunity came up here and I just, I couldn't give it up. It's right. my dream job and Wonderful. working for an academic medical center and really enjoying that side of it. Lots of challenges when you combine academia and a health system. Absolutely. So, so that's what I've been doing for the last 15 months. That's great. Congratulations on the role. Congratulations on your journey to the CIO role. And I'm sure being having been on the vendor side, you've got that perspective as well, too, that I'm sure you'll discuss as a part of this conversation today. I want Ricky to jump in here now and share a little bit of his journey as well in his role as a technology leader, advisor, partner for health systems. Yeah, I wish I would have went second because I don't know how, or I wish I would have went first because I don't know how I'm going to follow that up. (laughs) Yes, uh, I I started my career in financial planning, which when you're 22, 23, it's the the worst uh, career choice because no one is ever going to listen to you. But that was right around the time, like the Meeting for Use Act and the Epic Implementation were just flowing. And Nashville, I, I live in Nashville, and it's a health tech metropolis based off HCA and CHS and Life Points and others. Exactly. Yeah. So they, they had a lot of firms, and I got with one that was staffing Epic Implementations. So I did that for a while, but I did want to go to the technology side. So I had left there and worked for a legacy data archival vendor. You know, it was actually covering, I got chose to, like, to cover Colorado and I knew one person in Colorado and just so happened to see his friends with Scott. So I went there for yeah. him's meeting and started to, to meet everyone in Colorado. Great group of people. And at that point, I was like, I wish I could just be, I wish I could cover Colorado permanently and be in business development. I met Scott. Scott took me up on a ski hill and he left me. <laughs> it's so a great way to build a relationship. Yeah, it's a great way to build a relationship. <laughs> I was trying to close. Yeah, give him a black diamond, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And it was my first time skiing. And I think I got a text from him and another friend who I work with. And it was like, hey, man, just meet us at the bottom. So I fell literally all the way to the bottom. <laughs> uh, luckily, I did not get injured. But actually coming from like a HIMS, uh, or HIMS conference, listening to Scott talk, one, the points he was making is our Epic system has five, like over 5 million unique patients. And the state of Colorado only has 5 million and we're not the most profitable at that time health was. I think Centura had more facilities. Disgusting was like, hey, we're not doing a great job of retaining patients and keeping them within our sort of walls. So that made me think, I think my next role should be with, I mean, with engagement arena. And then I joined Luma about three years ago now. 
And since then, it's been working with strategic partners, whether it's those systems or other vendors to, to collaborate and solve any issues uh, with the patient engagement and fill in any gaps as far as patient communications. That's wonderful. Now, I'm glad you shared that story about Scott saying, here's my problem. Here's my challenge. And now I'm looking to a partner to help me solve this problem. And I want to delve into that later in our discussion as well, too. It's, it's, it goes without saying that technology is advancing every day. It has transformed the healthcare industry in many ways and hospitals and healthcare institutions are investing more and more to improve patient outcomes and streamline processes and reduce costs. Obviously, the COVID pandemic has now forced them to double down even more on technologies that provide both virtual and uh, acute care in uh, a number of different innovative ways today. And so the role of the CIO is crucial in maximize, helping to maximize those technology investments, as well as identifying the right solutions for the hospital to meet those growing needs and their business objectives. And this involves this type of relationship, identifying the partners you can trust, to evaluate the right types of solutions, to help me solve problems. Obviously, technology doesn't solve every problem. But can it help enable the re- resolution of problems or enable us to meet our strategic objectives? And I'm looking for organizations and individuals in particular uh, that I can trust to help navigate me through that process. So that being said, the, really the very first question I want to ask both of you, and I'll start again, Scott, with you, is understanding that, that relationship with uh, the vendor. Why do you think it's so important in this rapidly evolving landscape that is imperative for CIOs to cultivate strategic relationships with key vendor partners? Yeah, I think for me, and I really put this tenet in place for me, even when I was a bedside nurse, you really have to form relationships. Those relationships go both ways. You have to be able to rely on. So if I'm the nurse working in the ICU, I rely on the attending physician. I rely on my respiratory therapist, and you really can't do your job without that trust and that relationship. And as you're a former CIO, this you can there. Every vendor will call you. Every vendor will knock on your door. Right. They'll bring you lunch. They'll want to sell you something, and they'll exactly. want to sell you a solution, whether you have a problem or not. And I think I've always tried to cultivate the relationship because Ricky has been in two different companies that I've been that I've dealt with him, it carried over. He's someone I can trust. He's someone that I know is going to add value and he's going to be there for me and I'm going to be there for him. And that's how it has to work. And and I know that seems more social from a business perspective, but I don't think so. I tell vendors when they come, I want a relationship and I want to see the value of my contract. I want to, if I call you, I want you to answer the phone and I want you to be part of the success here. If you can't show me how you can add to the success of my organization post-sale and try to optimize whatever environment that I've implemented with you, then you're not a partner to me. That's right. And I I had to do this, and I'm sure you've had discussions with others. During COVID, I actually had to call my vendors and ask for delay of payment or discounts of payment. That's right. And guess who are the ones that followed through and gave me a discount or deferred payments for a period of time so we could get through. Right. It was my vendor partners and it was the relationships that I think I built that allowed me to do that. And without that, I think regardless of the sale amount, yeah, yeah, exactly. those folks would have 
those folks would have said, sorry. And that's right. And some of them did. And big companies that you wouldn't expect right. actually said, sorry, we can't do anything for you. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. It's funny. You, you talked about it from that context as well. I know to your point, when I was sitting in that chair as well, and I, like you, would get called on by a lot of vendors as well. One of the first things I would ask them, especially those who weren't traditional healthcare vendors, was that, first of all, are you prepared to be in healthcare? Are you prepared to own the responsibility of saving people's lives? Because that's what we're using your technology for. And so I want you to say that you're prepared to stand beside that clinician when they walk in that waiting room and they provide an update to those loved ones about th their situation and they use your technology, good, bad, or ugly of the outcome, you're going to stand right beside them mm. as this technology helps save their life or unfortunately the technology didn't do a good enough job. Yeah, that's the, And that's the commitment you're making when you come into this space. And a lot of vendors, to your point, don't understand that. And I'll let you comment as well too, Ricky, in just a second. The other thing I would, you know, say is that this is a marriage. This is not, I'm not disdaining you. I mean, this is not a transactional relationship. You're going to know my dirty laundry. I'm going to know your dirty laundry. Some days you may be able to get a good deal out of us. One, the next day I may need you to discount this thing for me so we can get it in here. And then we might have a situation where it's COVID, right? And I need to defer a payment. Are you in this thing with me for the long haul? Or are you in this just to get quarterly earnings? And if you're in it for just that, then you don't need to be in healthcare. Yeah. So I'll stop there and I'll let uh, Ricky chime in. Because I think also equally it's important for the vendor to have a strategic partnership with the provider. Because as you are advancing your technology, as you're trying to understand what the challenges and demands are, it's important to get that customer feedback, that customer insights about your platform so that you can create the smart and right roadmap for it. And I'm, again, Ricky, I'll, I'll just let you chime in and get your thoughts as well. Yeah. So like what you and, and Scott said about being a partnership and, uh, and identifying the the, um, the health system's needs, like Scott is an innovator. So if you're going to be a vendor with him, he's going to probably expect you to be a little bit nimble and flexible in your technology because what he's wanting or what he's envisioning isn't necessarily a word. I guess it doesn't mean it has to be cookie cutter out of the box. It means it might take a little bit of flexibility on our engineers and and really in our, our company's hands and a good working relationship and a good trust built up between he and I, I think that whatever he needs, we're going to listen to it. We're not going to shove things down their, down his throat. I think when I was selling to you at Centera, you had showed me like the app rationalization project and it was like, it's clear that whatever executive was there before me just stacked a bunch of technology together with no cohesive plan. And I thought to myself, I'm sure those vendors were selling in gray, but when that, once that technology got implemented, they were nowhere to be found because there is no strategic plan around all of this equity. So I, I thought in my career, I, I definitely want to be someone that is trusted when you call on me that I'm going to deliver. And then, like you said, post-sell, I want to deliver on your strategy even after I've received that commission check. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's, again, to just drive the point home, it's a relationship, right? It's not just... You're my customer. I'm your vendor. We have a relationship. I have your number. I can pick up the phone and say, here's a problem I'm dealing with. Any thoughts? Now, let's brainstorm on this a little bit. Many vendors that do this, you guys have solutions that do this. Here's the challenge I'm dealing with. And then vice versa, the vendor can say, hey, we're, we've got this new thing we're thinking about investing in. What are your thoughts? Would you mind being on our advisory board or sitting down and learning more about this and looking at our roadmap? Does this make sense? So it should be really symbiotic in terms of how you operate 
And there's mutual benefit in the long haul for each uh, organization if they develop and cultivate that type of relationship. Yeah, um, not to cut you off, but it's perfect with partnership is coming from the vendor side too. On the health system side is a lot of the times like they are your sounding board and they're almost like your focus group on like whether it's positioning or whether it's product roadmap. But if you treat people right, they'll be the best the sounding board. They'll be the best support group. So yeah, it's uh, just very important to, to keep a working relationship and a personal relationship. And not only that, they can pick up the phone and call their counterparts and say, hey, take yeah. his call. Yeah. <laughs> take exactly. their call. When they call, exactly. I'm using them. You don't have to avoid, you don't have to put the vendor kryptonite up on this one. He's a good guy. So <laughs> it's, it can be a beautiful relationship if it's developed correctly. I, I do want to shift gears a little bit and talk about situations where, Scott, you've had a big challenge in the organization that you're trying to overcome. You talked about that a little bit in your introduction. And as you try to drive innovation in your organization, if you have one, if you don't, that's okay. If you have one, give me an example of sort of a big challenge you had around adopting technology or innovating something new in your organization and how you worked with a vendor partner to get over that hump. Yeah, I think a really good example because it ties in both the innovation side, it ties in the investment side, it ties in the partnership, and it ties in how you effectively onboard new technology and then how do you effectively become a, a development partner to your point and driving the solution to its fullest and actually molding the solution to the actual problems that you have. And I love what you said earlier. We, in healthcare, and I'm sure it's in other industries, you have a lot of folks going out to conferences, going out to the marketplace and bringing you back solutions and trying to, and then saying, here's the solution. Let's try to find a problem so we can use this. That's right. And my pushback is you need to have a problem and then we'll then once you have a clearly identified problem and you understand what capabilities you're looking for to solve that problem, then you can hunt for a solution. Exactly. So at my first health system, we were struggling with clinical communications and we had mul- the nurses had multiple devices. We had Cisco phones. We had pagers. The physicians had a completely different way to communicate with the organization. We had different on-call schedules. We had all kinds. And then we embarked in physician practice as well. And we just had a disaggregated, disconnected clinical communication problem. And it became a patient safety issue. And if as a nurse, the worst thing for you and the thing that makes you feel most vulnerable is when you have a problem with a patient or a patient's going bad, and you're trying to get a hold of physician because you can't do anything without a physician order. And you just feel that isolation and you're looking through a Rolodex or trying to find the on-call spreadsheet right. or all that nonsense. Exactly. And it's two o'clock so, in the on a holiday. Yeah. Oh, it's, it was awful. <laughs> right. And I, as a clinician, I carried four pagers. It was madness. Right. And right. then I used my person, I'm going to date myself here, but I had a flip phone that you sure. couldn't really text, like texting wasn't a thing. Exactly. So we really embarked on this and partnering with the investment side, we actually invested in a company and became that development partner. And it was a five plus year relationship in the development of this product, the adoption of it and the replacing of, of products. And I look at that relationship, just how you described in the beginning, it really is like a marriage. It, you both invest in it and they're, the outcomes are tied together. That's right. And to your other point, if 
vendors don't understand that healthcare is different, then they have a problem that they should hire somebody from healthcare and figure it out because- Don't get in the game at all. Yeah, don't get in the game at all. But you're not going to be successful. And we're, you're, you're right. We're dealing with patients and there's there could be life or death outcomes. And then the other thing from a business perspective, the margins are awful. If you were an investor, would you invest in a healthcare company? Yeah. Like a health system? No. Okay. Hey, I want you to invest $150 million and you're going to get a, a 2% at best return. That's going to be like, exactly. no one would do that. Right. And I think if a vendor understands that they can partner, but yeah, so that's a great example, I think. Sure. And it was successful. Not only did we change and actually come up with the clinical communication and collaboration platform that's in the business now, right. we also were able to get rid of probably 10 different communication vehicles and skinny it down to one right. that was very reliable and right. people loved. And you could get a hold of any physician at any time. Sure. Wonderful. Great case study. Ricky, I, I, I don't know if you were involved in that situation or not, but any thoughts or comments or even a, an example that you might have where you worked with an organization that was dealing with a challenge and you were able to help navigate them through to remediate that or resolve that issue? I wasn't selling at the time there was flip phones and pagers. <laughs> wow, Ricky. Uh, it's okay. That's all right. Yeah. When I got in the game, there weren't even cell phones. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But yes, actually, I think our latest product, it was born out of that. Somebody was like, hey, our call center is just like way too stressed out. We've tried everything when it's during the great resignation and not our solutions to them. And we piloted it and then it uh, eventually became a product. Well, we're like, all right, what if we turn like the caller cell phone into like the, their, I guess, triage and they their own call center, meaning if, if you, they're trying to reach someone, they're really just trying to schedule, which most calls are, to get inventory of call logs, just tell them to press one and send them that schedule away. And um, then we call it digital call deflection and just partnering just with something like that, the uh, call volume was greatly reduced and then they weren't dealing with the mass shortage in the call centers and like the patient, the end user, their experience was much better instead of the wait times, which we realized it pulled the numbers and people were abandoning that alarming rate. Right. So yeah, they called them instant access on what they're phone. Wonderful. So talk to me a little bit, guys, about how do you move from dating to marrying in this relationship, vendor partner relationship? What are some steps or what are some things, Scott, that you noticed that Ricky was doing that gave you that feeling of confidence and that he was the right type of individual, first and foremost, and the company that I could trust and reach out to as a strategic partner as well. Yeah, I guess my my easy answer, and you're probably going to laugh at me, but you go into it carefully. So yeah. just like your example, you go into it carefully and you validate and you earn and gain trust. And I think that goes both ways. I think from a, if I was giving advice to vendors and Ricky and I've had this conversation with even stuff with Tim personally, you have to be, to gain that trust, you have to, you have to be open, you have to be honest and you have to be transparent. And sometimes that's to say, look, our solution is not right for you right Right. now, or you're not ready for our solution, or you're not in a economic position for our solution. And I will keep in contact with you. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And when the time is right, let's re-engage the conversation. Exactly. I think the other thing is 
you hear people go, oh, let, I'm only going to deal with people that'll go at risk with me. And that's not realistic, but the strategy is, right? So if I feel that the vendor or my partner is tied to my success and their project plan is tied to speed to value and value sure. realization, and right. if I don't get the value that they said, we're going to relook at it together and find that value. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you earn that trust. And it's sometimes it's with different companies, but the same person, right? So right. Ricky and I have that relationship. And I think when he came to me with with his new company, I was more open to sit down and listen and give my opinion on it and give my advice if he wanted it, but also I was willing to listen to it. So he does I don't think he's ever called my office phone at any of the places I've worked. I don't think I ever gave it to him. If you ever have an office phone number. But yeah, I will say, and one thing I noticed about Scott, he's very like wary about vendors because I met him at, at him's event and you know, is Chris for everyone clamors from his CIOs and right. did a great job of being like diplomatic, but just keeping, but keeping people at an arm's distance. Yeah. And I know yeah. so I, like, I call it the vendor kryptonite. Yeah. Yeah. So that he kind of lets you know it's, hey, man, this is a, this is going to be a long term relationship. And the advice that I've gotten from our mutual friend in her Disney, she's like, hey, make sure like you're all in. So yeah, you, I could pick that up from the beginning. And that, that kind of just changes the way you view anyone. And it's, it's more human. And it's not like, hey, he's a target that I'm going to go pick off at this event. And I'd like to uh, connect with him and, of course, learn about him and then have him take you up to a ski deal and possibly not. That's right. Just so you're clear, Christopher, we have, our mutual friend and I have a completely different story to that. Sure. So our, our perception of that, yeah, our memory of that is is a little different. That's okay. He, he, he traversed that he pretty well, didn't he? Yeah, he, he said it real well, so I'm yes. just going to let him keep this Yeah, one. sounds good. I, I think both of you said something I think is really important, and I, and I hope those vendors who might be listening to this episode as well take this to heart. It starts with the individual then the product, then the solution. If you don't have people on your in your organization that are invested in this industry and invested in the mission of it, that's going to become transparent. Healthcare people can read you in a heartbeat and tell you, are you really in this game with us or are you just here for a quick, fast buck? If you're not in this game, I don't see you at HIMSS events. I don't see you participating in our annual golf tournament or whatever. The, the, I don't see you in the ecosystem, first of all. I only see you when you're ready to sell something. You're not invested in the industry. If I'm not seeing you provide support, services, advice, whatever it might be, sponsorship, whatever it might be into the industry, then that's going to tell me you're not committed as well, too. And then obviously, as you get the opportunity to have an interaction with someone and and they're only talking about just the product and the service and not about you and what's going on in your organization and really trying to build a relationship because this is a relationship business in the end of the day. They're not doing that. Then why would I trust you? Why would I give you my cell phone number and tell you to call me versus give you my main number and go through my gatekeeper and then you might get me or not? And so I think it's really important for those who are trying to be successful in this industry and especially because these CIOs guys, I'm telling you, they get no short of 20 calls plus a day, if not more, and tons of email crap that comes through that they don't have time to, to vet or read. And if it's not 
on that list of 10 things that are on that whiteboard in their office that say, these are my burning platforms. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to talk about it because I'm either spending a good part of my day putting out fires that I wouldn't expect it when I walked in the door this morning. And, right. And I've got all these other things I am expected to get done on time and on budget as well. Not to mention the tyranny of the urgent, which I, which is what I call it. What doctors, nurses, administrators pop into your office and say, hey, I just heard about this new vendor that's got blah, blah, blah. Can you take a call with them? And now you're trying to figure out how to put that in your calendar as well. So it is very important that you understand the, the demands that are placed on these individuals and how you can help support them in meeting those demands, helping them solve the current problems that they're dealing with on an ongoing basis. As I expected, time is running out. We, I could, I've got probably like eight more questions I want to ask. So we may end up having to do a part two on this as well. But I, I really appreciate you guys' transparency and honesty and insights on this topic. And before we wrap up, I want to give each of you an opportunity to, I hate to leave, I want to leave it on a sour note, but I want you to give me an opportunity where you had a bad experience with a vendor and or a bad experience with a provider. And then any lessons learned from that experience or that journey? And I'll start with you, Ricky, this time. So yeah, I guess bad experiences depends on you taking. But don't mention, you don't have to mention names. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. What Scott was saying earlier is like when it's partnership, you got to see it through co-sell, which is absolutely right. And I think when a vendor stops communicating with you post-sell because they have expectations and if you're like at a like a company like ours, uh, I feel like you get one strategic deal or academic help. Like you, like you want to see that through because that becomes a marketing catalyst for things right. in the future. But it, I, I feel like a lot of the times that vendors aren't, and it could be on our part. We're not set up in success or set up for success in the sense that hey, when we outline agree, when we outline an agreement, we both sides had deliverables and we're delivering on ours. We can't enable you to be successful if you're not delivering on your part. And we understand people get busy, but like often I'm like, didn't the executive, whoever's sponsoring that project, didn't they like make time for this and their budget, like not on financial budget, but their people allocation budget. And when stuff doesn't get off the ground, it's like they're putting the finger back at us. And it's always a, a negative experience. Hey, we're hoping to do all these strategic things, not even just like marketing for ourselves, but we wanted to make you successful. So we look good as well. And the deliverables on your part have failed. And now it, like, it looks bad. And, and now we spent a lot of money, you spent a lot of money and time and, and it's all for nothing. So that's always like the sour patch when sure. the organization, like they don't come through on their deliverables, just like we're responsible for coming through. Yeah. I think that's really important to point out as well, too, because sometimes when you're on the provider side, you don't always appreciate the fact that they have a business to run too, the vendor, yeah. right? Right. They have a list of clients they're having scheduled to deliver services for. They have overhead and staff and resources that they have to try to maintain and manage and optimize as well. And when you don't meet those commitments, it can have a detrimental impact on the vendor's bottom line as well, too. So it's really important to your point, Ricky, that you keep to those commitments you make. And if you're going to have roadblocks, hopefully you give folks enough of a heads up because it happens that people can regroup and reset expectations as well versus deflecting and pointing the finger and saying somehow you are at fault. Scott, any thoughts on that as well? 
Yeah, I, I have a good example. I will leave the names out, but I've had a strategy in my career to be cloud forward, to look to platformization. And yes, right. that's a word I made up. I, like I think I get, I think I get royalties for it. And then reduce complication in the organization. So those kind of three R's that IT professionals look at. So reduce complication, increase your, and ensure resiliency in your organization. And I tried to do that and I ran into a situation and you'll know who I'm talking about, but when you run Epic, you have only a couple options to get Epic to the clinicians. And we were, and this is right before COVID hit and we entered into renegotiating our contract. And we've had this vendor for a long time, been a a good partner, all of that. And we were dependent on this technology. And they came into our renewal with a 400% increase on price. Oh my God. And I'm like, fellas, (laughs) I I have 3% margin (laughs) and and you want a 400% increase? I, I just, I could not do that. I said, right. I get you must have a, it must have came down from corporate. You need, you have goals or you didn't meet your goals the first quarter. And this now is a second quarter goal, whatever it sure. is. I said, come back when you have a reasonable, reasonable proposal. And so they push it out till we're getting ready to go past our contract if we didn't renew. And I call, I was on their advisory board. So I called the VP of the West and I right. said, Hey, you got to come out and help me. He came out and we sat down. He said, I got him to cut it in half. I'm like, cut it in half. That's still 200%. <laughs> come on. I right. do this. <laughs> so we were going to sign another five year deal. So this was, this is not, this is a lot of money. And so in that sit down, I said, if you don't come back with a reasonable proposal, I'm not going to use your technology anymore. And they laughed and said, you have to use our technology. And right. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. And so I signed a one-year extension and went with a different vendor. And they were like, you're not going to do this. I'm like, no, I'm doing this. And right. we did it. But it's funny, that relationship carried over to here. We had to renew our contract here. And I utilized the same person that helped yes. me out with that other problem to solve my problem here. And right. we... We cut through all the nonsense and got to a contract that was amenable to both of us. Um, So I I think that you, and from a healthcare perspective, you have to be strong like that, but sometimes like you feel like you can't be because you're beholden almost to these. That's right. You can't hold me hostage to your technology. And that's what it was. Like if they could have came back with something reasonable, and it would have never been a problem, right? right? Because it's a five-year contract. So I'm going to have a five-year relationship with you where you can recover if if there was some revenue loss or something there over that five-year period, I might be purchasing other services, other technologies, other solutions yeah. that can help so, the bottom line there. I'm sorry, Richard. Scott, and on that, because so they feel like they had that price like this 400% is ridiculous. Do they do that because they felt like they had you in shackles anyway? Hey, you got to sign this anyway. Yeah, it's so exactly. Like, they had cornered the market. Yeah. And they had every health system on the platform. So they figured, like, why not? And and you've seen this, Christopher, right? Like acquisitions of certain companies change the way those companies present themselves and they become something that they weren't. And I think that's happening in our business all the time. A non-healthcare company acquires a healthcare company. Yeah. And they adopt their philosophy into healthcare and it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it really doesn't. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, so, it's like, cool. yeah, it's, that's the thing. It's like capitalism's great for the stuff you like want, but the stuff you need, like healthcare, it's not. Yeah, yeah. So, like the outsiders coming in trying to capitalize on the market, but hey, our mission is yeah. to deliver health and yeah, to getting in the way with it. Exactly. Yeah. The funny thing about that, the rep lived in our area, and I'm like. Dude, if you put us out of business, where are you going for your health care? Exactly. Uh, if you have to bring your grandma in, where are you going to take that? That's right. That's a very good point. That's a very- and, and you can be a conscientious capitalist as well, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, everybody's got to make money. Do good. I'm not working here for free. They're paying That's me, right? right? Yeah. But but I try to do my job and I try to be respectful and responsible, right? And Absolutely. Gentlemen, I, unfortunately, I, oh, again, I'm sure we could talk another hour or so about a host of different things related to this topic. But unfortunately, I do have to wind things down. I, I did want to just close out with kind of a list of best practices in this and feel free to chime in on some of these as well. If you have others around, how do you a CIO maximize this relationship, a CIO and vendors maximize this relationship. And I have four points I want to just share with the listeners. The first one is to develop a clear technology roadmap. Hospital CIOs should work closely with their vendor partners to develop a clear roadmap that, that outlines the organization's technology needs and priorities over the next few years or so. This enables and ensures the organization is investing in technology that aligns with its long-term goals and objectives. The second is focus on interoperability. Interoperability is crucial in healthcare and it ensures that different systems and applications can communicate with each other seamlessly. The hospital CIO should prioritize investing in technologies that are interoperable or open architecture platforms that integrate with the system existing systems, as well as looking to technologies that, and building a platform that allows you to be able to integrate technologies that are not even here today in the future. Planning for that. Investing in training and education. Technology investments are only as valuable as as the users who use it. How do you maximize that investment? Hospitals should at CIO should prioritize investing in training and education programs to ensure that staff members are comfortable and proficient in using new technology. And the vendors should make that training available. It should continue to create a model for ongoing training because you're going to have turnover in any healthcare system, you're gonna have advancements in the platforms and you need to make sure you have a very healthy training program. And then monitoring and measuring for the ROI. Hospital CIOs should regularly monitor and measure the return on investment of their technologies. This helps them identify areas where they need to make adjustments or invest in additional resources that will ensure the organization is maximizing the value of those technologies. And the partners should be helping them figure out how to do that most effectively. I'll stop there and see if either one of you wanted to add anything else to that list as well, too. Yeah, I wish I could disagree because debating is fun, but I agree with everything you said. I think the one thing from an ROI perspective, you're right. If it's not a regulatory requirement, it's not a patient safety requirement. Every new technology you introduce should have an ROI or should have a value. And, And if it doesn't, You're not going to last long as a CIO. And I think the other thing that I would note that you said that resonates with me is choosing the technology that aligns with your strategic plan. I think a CIO that doesn't do that is not going to be a CIO, at least for that company, very long because you can, and you know this, Christopher, you can make a bad choice and it's really hard to live it down or get another chance. And it will follow you. And so you got to, so you tread lightly or tread carefully. Those are great points. And I love them. Wonderful. Wonderful. Ricky, any final thoughts? 
My final thoughts for anyone coming up in business development is don't look at these healthcare executives as a vehicle to hit your quota. And I know so many young people do. And they're like, hey, if I can make this out, this is what it's going to mean to me personally. Always look out for the best, always look out for the, the health system's best interest. And like you said, prove an ROI. Make sure you prove an ROI and make sure you have a plan around the technology and how they're going to use it and how that executive is going to make their money back because they're doing you a service by listening to you. So she did the service by uh, making sure you're well buttoned up and you have a great approach and, and prove an ROI to them. Wonderful. I'm going to let you have the last word on that. And I want to thank both of you, Ricky Fletcher, Director of Strategic Partnerships with Luma Health, and Scott Raymond, Vice President and Chief Information and Innovation Officer at Nebraska Health for your time uh, and attention on this segment of Straight Out of Health IT. And as always, everyone who takes the time to listen in, thank you so much for your support. If you like what was discussed here, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with your colleagues, your friends, your families, your pet, whatever you deem, what anyone you deem would think would get some value out of this. And, and as always, I appreciate your support. So until next time, take care. God bless and see you on the other side. Thank you so much for listening to Straight Outta Health IT. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For more unfiltered dialogue of healthcare leaders and influencers, be sure to tune in next week. For the show notes, transcripts, and resources, please visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite streaming platform. We invite you to give us feedback by reaching out to Christopher Cunny on LinkedIn, just searching for Straight Outta Health IT, and you'll find us. We are constantly having live discussions about diverse topics in the industry. 